So I want to throw out a special thanks to Amanda and Chris Harvey from Austin, Texas. From Austin, Texas. Oh, is that a thanks? Text? Thanks, Amanda and Chris. <laughs> thanks an awful lot. Golly, <laughs> I can't quit you. <laughs> I'm going to have the accent of a person who's moved down to Austin, Texas to work at one of the many programming companies. Oh, yeah. Sounds just like this. Yes, that's uh-huh. right. Yeah. That's an Austin, Texas accent. I have been to Austin, Texas, and they like their outdoor drinking establishments. Okay. They like to have parts of their drinking establishments not covered. Uh, so when you're there and it's raining, less fun. It rains in Austin, Texas? Uh, I came in with a taxi driver and it was about five degrees Celsius. Right. And the taxi driver told me not to go outside because it was too dangerous, to which I said, well, I'm from Canada. He goes, oh, then no problem. Dangerous. <laughs> dangerous at five? Yeah. You told me it was dangerous to go outside <laughs> at five degrees. Wouldn't it be uh, more dangerous to go out when it's sunny out and there's no covering because you get the skin cancer and yes. the skin burns? Oh, I don't think they care about that. Oh, because they got cowboy hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, Austin, not so much. Not so much in Austin. It's the yeah. part of Texas that likes, that likes to keep it weird. Oh, keeping it weird. Yeah. Maybe you saw Amanda and Chris while you were there. I might have. I might have. I made you a lot of friends with them. down there. Yeah. Uh-huh. They've been listening to the show since 2011. Look. I'm sure they're going to really appreciate you making them sound like Hicks. I like it. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Previously on Caustic Soda. I think I just came up with a new idea for a cartoon series. Taste Buddies. Can't taste it. Can't take, taste it. Lemon! <laughs> yeah, take an orange and like run it over it like a juicer, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, me so sad now. No more cookies. <laughs> and now, the conclusion. <laughs> In the animal kingdom. Uh-huh. <laughs> All animals have some sort of chemical senses, mm-hmm. from critters as small as a single-cell amoeba, which sense specific chemicals and move towards them, to whales. Mm-hmm. Okay. Invertebrates such as insects use cells devoted to chemical senses, which are the direct evolutionary equivalents of mammal taste buds. Okay. Flies, for example, and butterflies and other insects. Bees taste through their feet. Oh, nice. That's cool. Uh, so I could be tasting the floor right now. Yes. Uh-huh. When I played footsie with somebody, I could be tasting something else yeah, it's entirely kind of basically different. Basically, making up. Uh-uh. Vertebrates, on the other hand, all have tongues, and all tongues have taste buds. Mm-hmm. Cats cannot taste sweet things. Yeah, because their uh, their tongues are so scratchy. <laughs> Maybe so, it, like scrapes all the, the sweet just ba- the scrapes right off, just bounces right off. It's like it's like Godzilla. You can shoot, <laughs> it's you can like... shoot at Godzilla all you want, but it will not penetrate. And you can throw sweet at a cat tongue <laughs> you all you throw want, a and it will at not a cat. penetrate. It yeah, will never taste it. That's right. Humans have about eight to 10,000 taste buds on their tongue uh-huh. that usually only last about 10 to 14 days before being replaced. Hmm. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. It's like no. a shark's teeth. Wow. So basically, every like 14 days, we have a new tongue or a new surface new, of a tongue. New taste buds on the tongue. Yeah. 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 You can never go home again. You can step in a river and is, you can never step in the, I don't know how that idiom goes. You oh. step in a river and it's never the same man and never the same river. You can uh, taste <laughs> something with your tongue, but it's never the same food and it's never the same tongue. Okay. Is yeah. that how it goes? Sure. Something sure. like that. Yeah. It sounded like your attempt at philosophy. We'll but, fix that uh, in post. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know how you can fix that, but good, nice try. Herbivores like cows have around 25,000. 
Okay. Omnivores like pigs have around 15,000, mm-hmm. and carnivores generally have the fewest. Okay. Because herbivores uh, need to be able to tell if a specific plant contains dangerous toxins. Right. Time. Okay. Whereas if you're a carnivore, unless you're eating like cane toads or something, Screw probably it. not Just poisonous. eat anything. Yeah. yeah Just eat th- whatever. Those tend to tell you in different ways that they're poisonous yeah. anyway. On that BBC documentary I've been mentioning, they, uh, they showed some divers uh, with raw chickens, and they threw them at sharks. Yep. And the sharks did not care for the raw chicken at all, but they would like spit out the raw chicken and then eat a fish head. Roly-poly fish mm-hmm. head. Eat them up, yum. Birds have far fewer taste buds than mammals. Chickens only have 24 to 30. Oh, wow. 24 to 30 taste buds? Yep. Wow. One one thousandth of a cow's uh, taste buds. I guess chickens figure they just don't need to taste. Well, they're just eating like worms. (laughs) Why would you want to taste that? Worms and uh, and and grains. Grubs and grains. Boring. You don't need to taste it. And also- In fact, it's probably a detriment if you taste it. exactly. (laughs) Chickens do all smoke quite a bit. Yeah. That's got to hurt, go. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chain smokers. Yeah. Got it. The tongues of snakes have no taste buds. Instead, what? the tongue is used to bring smells and tastes into the mouth. Smells and tastes are then detected in two pits called Jacobson's organs wow. on the okay. roof of their mouths. If somebody came to you and asked you what Jacobson's organ was, mm-hmm. uh, what is your initial? I think it's very telling that Torin goes straight for the hockey organ, where I automatically think that thought of Wang. Or possibly. That one? Sure. Also good. They should go, play that at hockey games. I think Don't do any more. We're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus has chemoreceptors, which are taste receptors, mm-hmm. on the suckers of their tentacles. Oh. Oh, so they taste their hands. So yeah. They... Not with your mouth. Mm, Wait. Yeah, that's an, M&M's, <laughs> that's an M&M's commercial. So before you sh- shake an octopus's uh, hand, you should wash yours? Yeah, maybe. Or, rude. you know, unless if you want to be extra sexy, touch your naughty parts and then shake his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would kind of be flirting. rude. That's flirting. Also rude without consent, you know. The earthworm has chemosensors over its entire body. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So basically for earthworms, there's no such thing as dry humping. It's all oral sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> catfish typically have more than 100,000 taste buds. Some large catfish can have as many as 175,000 taste buds. Whoa. Located all over the catfish's body. What? Concentrated on the whiskers and around its mouth. Well, I would hope so. Along with the thousands of buds along their body, the whiskers allow the fish to not only taste when dinner is nearby, but also hone in on its exact location. A highly developed sense of taste is critical for catfish, which do their hunting in extremely muddy, murky waters where visibility is low. This is the creature that has the highest sense of taste. The oh, animal the catfish. The catfish. Catfish can... So, how ironic that the cat can't taste sweet, but the catfish can taste anything for miles around. And the cat wants to eat fish. It's a circle. I'm just wondering why there hasn't been a superhero who has mutant catfish powers and can taste everything the around catfish. him. I taste mm. evil. Like like Daredevil, except as a catfish. Mm. Instead of sonar, he tastes everything. That's that right, would... the villain is that way. <laughs> yeah, because that would make people feel sick to the stomach. Awesome. I'm going to talk about bitter orange. Bitter. Oh, bitter. oh so it's an orange that is uh, got dumped and is right. feeling really bad about it. And it's kind of sour. I'll I'm make gonna, them all pay. I'm never going to go I'll never out lo- in the orchard again. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants to juice me. 
<laughs> you are the bitter orange, after all. That's right. Seville orange is a particularly tart orange, which is grown throughout the Mediterranean region. Mm-hmm. It has a thick, dimpled skin and is prized for making marmalade, being higher in pectin than the sweet orange. Do okay. not like marmalade. How many people here like marmalade? I don't mind marmalade. I like I, it better than jam. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, we I'm, cannot be friends. <laughs> no, they're both about the same for me. It is also used for uh, compotes, uh-huh. compotes. <laughs> Truman Compote? <laughs> Truman, Truman Compotes? I don't even know what it's a, yeah. It's like a, a fruity dessert. Okay. Orange flavored liqueurs. The fruit Ooh. and leaves make lather and can be used as soap. Oh. Sure. The juice from the ripe fruit is also used as a marinade for meat in Nicaraguan, Cuban, Dominican, and Haitian cooking. Hold on. The bitter orange is starting to sound like a superfood. Like, what the hell yeah. doesn't this orange do? The peel can be used in the production of bitters. Uh huh. The Belgian wit beer or white beer mm-hmm. is made from wheat spiced with the peel of the bitter orange. Okay. The what finish. Is this? is this the orange episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me get through this. Okay. The Finnish and Swedish use bitter orange peel in gingerbread, and sure. throughout Iran, the juice is used as a salad dressing or as a souring agent in stews and pickles. Mm. Uh, this mm, isn't sounding particularly like a caustic fruit. So welcome to caustic soda. Let's get to it. Following bans in a number of countries on the herbal stimulant ephedra, bitter orange has been substituted into, quote, ephedra-free herbal weight loss products. Oh. This really is a superfood. Yeah. So it gets you high, too. Like most dietary supplement ingredients, bitter orange has not undergone formal safety testing, but Uh-oh. is believed to cause the same spectrum of adverse effects as ephedra. So you buy- I don't know what the adverse effects of ephedra are. Case reports have linked bitter orange supplements to strokes, angina, and ischemic colitis. Mm-hmm. Ischemic so- colitis, ischemic colitis. <laughs> Anybody know what that is? It's a medical condition in which inflammation and injury of the large intestine result from inadequate blood supply. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that. You I, knew that. I, I, I've, We've I, talked about had it ischemic before. colitis. I, I know more than one person that has colitis. Okay. Ischemic mm. colitis? <laughs> I'm certain Dr. Rob has said ischemic colitis because I knew how to pronounce it as soon as I saw the word. Okay. All so I know that is that why. you go out and buy your ephedra-free dietary supplement and yeah. basically does the exact same thing to basically you got that natural ephedra, ephedra in it, yeah. did, did to you. That's my guess, is that it probably basically has natural type right. of ephedra in there. Well, I mean, if you're having a stroke, you're eating less. That's, that's true. <laughs> that is true. You're probably, or you're being fed through a tube or something. Yeah. There you go. And then they can totally tell how many calories you're getting. Yeah. Glass of caustic soda, half full. <laughs> also known as the miracle fruit, Sincipalum dulcificum. This is the miracle fruit. Yes. Is a plant with a berry that when eaten causes sour foods subsequently consumed to taste sweet. Mm, okay. Uh, oh, what? Uh, Hold on. So you eat the miracle fruit, right. and then after you eat a miracle fruit- You eat something sour. You eat a uh, lemon. You right. squeeze a lemon, and then lemon tastes sweet. Yes. Or do you eat the sour fruit first, and then you have the- How does that work? No. no it, you which eat, one do you eat first? You, you eat the miracle fruit first, yeah. okay. and then when you eat something sour, it actually tastes sweet. All okay. right. Okay. The, the berry itself has a low sugar content, but it contains a glycoprotein molecule called miraculin. Which sounds like it Miraculous. was made up by, by James marketer. Cameron. No, James Cameron. Or James Cameron. Yeah. This molecule binds to taste buds, causing sour foods to taste sweet. Okay. At a neutral pH, miraculin binds and blocks the receptors, but at a low pH from ingestion of sour fruit foods, miraculin binds protons and activates the sweet receptors. This effect lasts until the protein is washed away by saliva, which is about to up to about sixty minutes. All right. Okay. In the USA, an attempt was made in the 1970s to commercialize the fruit and its ability to turn unsweet foods into sweet foods without a caloric penalty, but failed when the U.S. Food and Drug Administration classified the berry as a food additive. There were accusations okay. that the project was sabotaged by the sugar industry. All right. Mm-hmm. That Conspiracy. powerful sugar industry. 
The FDA But it is a naturally growing fruit, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fruit. Recently, special food tasting events have increased in popularity, referred to as flavor tripping parties. Yeah. (laughs) The taster consumes sour and bitter foods such as lemons, radishes, pickles, hot sauce, and beer to experience the taste changes. I hope they mix them all up in a big bowl. The The, radishes, pickles, hot sauce, beer, and lemons. Yeah, yeah. Just Uh, like a a soup. No, because then you wouldn't get the effect of like like that satisfying crunch and the giant like sour dill pickle and like have it taste like what? Candy pickle? Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't even taste pickle. like a pickle. The Arizona-based company that controls 95% of the world's miracle Candy food Candy pickle, market. by the way, is one of the names of the characters in the Taste Buddies. Taste Buddies. Come on, Candy Pickle! <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. And then there's bitter orange. I'm say, you guys never want to play with me. <laughs> the Arizona-based company that controls 95% of the world's miracle fruit market Whoa. confirmed that the trend is on the rise in Canada, the trend of these parties. Uh-huh. M. Barry says the company's exports to Canada have shot up 500% in the last six months of 2012. From one to 500. <laughs> no, from one to five one, would be one, 500%. Oh, God. One to six, I think, actually. Oh, it, so if I, it's up 500%, it's an extra five, so one plus five is six. I get a quote here from somebody who attended a flavor-tripping party. Yeah. Okay. Uh, l- what would a person who attends a flavor tripping party stoner, sound like? Stoner voice, you know you want to do it. Lemons and limes taste like candy. Salt and vinegar chips taste like cookies. And the sour beer I couldn't quite tell a moment ago tastes like a hefeweizen. I don't know what that is. Sounds like a cow. That's a wheat beer. <laughs> All around me, people are taking shots of balsamic vinegar like it's $1 tequila night at Senior Frogs. Totally sounds like something a stoner would say. I like that you said senior frogs instead of senior frog. <laughs> senior. I'm just an old frog. <laughs> I can't taste anything anymore. Oh, this, my taste buds are gone. This huge tongue of mine reaches out, but it can't taste anything. <laughs> uh, so I don't really understand the fun of a flavor tripping party. Where's the fun? Because it's uh, unexpectedness. You're like, oh my goodness, this sour thing tastes totally sweet. It I jazzes can... up your boring bridge night. Listen, why can't? What, couldn't you just eat? Remember back in the sweet? day, people used to watch horses jumping off tall things into water. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's true. Now there's flashback this. to our horse episode. Morinda citrifolia uh-huh. is a tree in the coffee family. Its native range extends through Southeast Asia and Australasia. It is tolerant of saline soils, so salty uh-huh. drought right. conditioned and secondary soils. It is therefore found in a wide variety of habitats, volcanic terrains, lava-strewn coasts, and oh, yeah. clearings or limestone outcrops, as well as in coralline atolls. Right, so, so it's it, a tree it, that grows out of lava. It, it, it grows out of all sorts anywhere. of harsh it. soils. Okay, all right. The fruit of the tree is a multiple fruit that has a pungent odor when ripening and is hence commonly known as vomit fruit. Oh, uh, I don't want to take. I, I don't want to draw away from the fact that it's called vomit fruit. Yeah. But what does it mean that it's a multiple fruit? Well, there's a picture. What does that it mean doesn't though? Tell. What does it mean that it's called a multiple fruit? Uh, a multiple fruit is one formed by a cluster of flowers. So a whole bunch of fl- normally one flower turns into a fruit. But if you have a bunch of f- flowers that then combine to form one fruit themselves. Oh, that's okay. okay. Like uh, grapes. Okay, maybe. Uh, uh-huh. so a pineapple, fig, mulberry, uh, osage orange, and breadfruit are okay. multiple fruits. They Not do. grapes. Not no, grapes. they would look, if grapes <laughs> formed a clump, like uh, if instead you a, of individual oh, grapes, if yeah. they actually, like the skins of the if grapes you had merged mutant, into one clump of grapes. A mutant grape, you where know, it was just a bumpy giant grape. If you take a bunch of grapes uh-huh. and painted them like uh, like purpley black okay okay so grape colored <laughs> yeah but more so the <laughs> deeper and then okay. you could just you could just market it as like gmo blackberries 
It's like because a whole bunch of grape is like one big blackberry. Oh, I see. So uh, you, a bunch of grapes that would look like like a, one, one blackberry that's blackberry. like the size of your head, but it wouldn't taste like blackberry. It doesn't matter. But it would hit your your brain, and you'd you think just it, say it's GMO grapes. Ah, okay. And all right. Our GMO blackberry. You go. Oh yeah. Right. Man. Because our little all the got the packaging. All the stuff that we've talked about about you know packaging yeah. and plating and color and whatnot. Seems pretty labor intensive for a pretty small niche market. It's not as elegant as I thought in my head <laughs> when it came out of my words. So despite the vomit fruit's strong smell and bitter taste, vomit it is fruit. nevertheless eaten as a famine food and in well, some Pacific islands even a right. staple of course, food. Of course sure. it's eaten as a famine food because it's vomit fruit. <laughs> yes. It's not like you could sell it anywhere. Not like somebody's going, hey, I've got a, I've got a tanker full of vomit fruit coming in. Who's lining up at the docks to get some? Could we do this as some kind of uh, easy to follow diet of I promise? I will only eat terrible tasting vomity foods so that I can't possibly eat too much. This I, is truth in advertising I, is what it is. I hope they put it in right next to the durian in the market so that you have the, the shitty gasoline smelling fruit next to the vomit fruit. I wonder what would happen if you ate a miracle fruit and then ate a vomit fruit right after. Ooh, something Ooh. delightful. It could be amazing. <laughs> sweet tasting vomit again. We're going to have to yeah. find that out. <laughs> vomit 50% sweeter. Yes. <laughs> can we find that out? Can we get these in Canada? I don't know. Can we get Miracle well, Fruit? We can get it in Canada. We know we can get the Miracle Fruit in Canada because yeah. M-Berry, it's gone right. up 500%. 500%. So let's do that sometime. Let's get let's Mi- get a Vomit Fruit and, and a, a Miracle Berry. berry. This will be for our uh, web, Maybe we'll do web for, series pilot. There we go. All right. You're writing these things down, right? I'm writing down. I'm taking notes. <laughs> okay. Vomit Fruit plus Miracle Berry equals writing notes on paper that's totally going to work equals webisode gold yeah you just <laughs> only have, if we you just have to remember not to throw away the paper just like you have All to right. remember not to delete the internet file okay and threw it away yeah go. gold <laughs> i just remember then you forget it i like your yeah. moxie you like that's okay his memory works if he writes it down he'll never forget it doesn't matter what he does with what he writes down no yeah. It's just the, the, the act of writing it down. In the history. Carl Wilhelm Schiele. Ah! A Swedish pharmaceutical chemist. Why did he have like a, a hot I tried call? to do the Wilhelm, but I didn't. Let me try that again. Oh, nice. Yeah, that good, Wilhelm. That was pretty good. Uh, Isaac Asimov coined the nickname Hard Luck Sheila because Sheila made a number of chemical discoveries before other chemists who eventually received the credit for the discovery. Right. Now, Sheila is spelled S-C-H-E-E-L-E. Correct. So it's a Swedish last Sheila. name. Yeah. Sheila. Sheila was not initially credited for the discovery of molybdenum, tungsten, barium, hydrogen, chlorine. Hydrogen. Organic acids such as tartaric, oxalic, uric, lactic, and citric, as well as hydrofluoric and hydrocyanic. Okay. Probably most famously and most importantly, he was not credited with the discovery of oxygen. Because he didn't discover any of these things. Uh, No, he did, in fact, discover all these things. (laughs) He discovered them, but then other people took credit for the discovery. Uh, In fact, Sheila had learned the phlogiston theory of gases. Right. Phlogiston was classified as matter of fire. It was supposed to be released from any burning material. And when it was exhausted, combustion would stop. Right. Phlogiston is not a real thing. It's not a real thing. Correct. It's like basically the uh, the chemical version of the humors theory. It's like how they used to think that the space was filled with ether. Yes, precisely. Mm -hmm. When Sheila discovered oxygen, he called it fire air because it supported combustion, but he explained oxygen using phlogistical terms (laughs) because he did not believe that he had disproved phlogiston theory. 
His publication on the subject was delivered to the printer in 1775, but was not published until 1777, by which time both Joseph Priestley and Antoine Lavoisier had already published their experimental data and conclusions on the subject. He tried to publish his paper, but it was just a phlogistical nightmare. (laughs) Uh, love it. I want to know what kind of printer you have that you give him your manuscript in 1775, and by 1777, he still hasn't gotten around to it. He's got to handset every single letter, like on the printing press. When did press. the printing press you know, come out? You know what Sheila needed? Sheila needed Amazon Prime. That's what he needed. That's yeah. right. In addition, Sheila discovered a process similar to pasteurization, along with a means of mass producing phosphorus, which led Sweden to become one of the world's leading producers of matches. Okay, sure. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what does this have to do what with taste? What does this guy taste like? That's what <laughs> I'm wondering. Yeah, well, no kidding. Well, in 1785, Sheila began to suffer from symptoms believed to be kidney disease. And by early 1786, he had also contracted a disease of the skin, which pretty much completely enfeebled him. Mm. You see, Sheila had a bad habit of sniffing and tasting <laughs> any new substance he discovered. Oh, Nice. That the hydrocyalic acid or whatever it was is uh, probably the bad the thing idea. That did it to him. Actually, cumulative exposure to arsenic, mercury, lead, a right. myriad of compounds, hydrofluoric acid, and many other substances well, eventually took their toll on Sheila, who died at the age of 43 in wow. May of 1786. You do have to record these things for science. At what they taste like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe he took it a little too far. <laughs> he was real good on the discovering things, right. not so real good on discovering how not to die. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no, he discovered it. <laughs> no, he discovered how to die. Yeah, so you don't do that. Oh, okay. Oh, he did it by avert, like, hey everybody, reverse psychology. Just so you all know, this was a bad idea. <laughs> but, I mean, he might be like the only person in like recorded history who tasted a bunch of these things because he discovered it, right. and then he so, tasted it, and yeah. it was like, oh, shit, don't taste that. <laughs> that was awful and poisonous. In a superhero comic, that combination would have given him miraculous powers that you mm. could never truly uh, duplicate. What would his miraculous powers have been? Uh, um, He'd be the human tongue. The un- uncredited man. Ah, uncredited man. I like it. He uh, does lots of stuff, but nobody ever knows. <laughs> In 1840s, a third of the population of France derived their living from wine. What? The nation's second most valuable export after textiles. French viticulture had entered a golden age with improved machinery and methods of cultivation, as well as the invention of a convenient glue that fixed paper to glass, thus allowing vineyard-specific labeling. Is it that they're so good at making wine or just that they're so terrible at everything else? (laughs) I thought hoity-toitiness would be their number one export. Oh, really? Uh, Maybe now, not necessarily in 1840. The way that you sell it is by packaging it in wine. Right. Mm -hmm. I see. And just be snooty about all your wine. In 1863, a small wine merchant with a garden vineyard planted some clippings of American vines sent to him as a gift from a friend. The following summer, his vines turned yellow and died. By the 1870s, so, uh, you know, scant seven years later, almost 50% of France's vineyards had been destroyed. Oh my God. The culprit was a tiny aphid like insect native to North America, Phylloxera vastatrix. Don't. Mm-hmm. A microscopic pest that sucked sap from vine roots. The resulting root galls were not fatal to American vines oh. due to biochemical responses developed over years of coevolution. Right. But French vines had no such defenses and succumbed en masse. Oh, no. The impact on French wine culture was enormous. Research commissions, quarantine zones, the invention of chainmail vine gloves and giant cast iron syringes. Chainmail vine gloves? And giant cast iron syringes for injecting pesticides into the soil. We're all attempted to try and stop the blight. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think the chainmail vine gloves were to like maybe 
keep from transferring these bugs to okay. other vines or something. Uh, I don't know. They were desperate. Yeah. Desperate. Uh, but they were, No, they were using them to punch the aphids. <laughs> well, they're microscopic. So. There's one. <laughs> we really got them. Yeah. There's no doubt. By the end of the 19th century, agricultural officials and scientists had determined the best way for French viticulture to overcome the phylloxera plague was by drafting, grafting French vines onto already resistant American rootstock. Okay. They called this process reconstitution. Mm-hmm. But some critics argued that wines from grafted plants would take on a distinctively American taste of fox. Taste of fox. Yeah. F-O-X fox. <laughs> X-O-X hmm. fox. Your wine the, tastes like a wild uh, canine. Like you just ran it through a, a like, uh, strained it through a fox skin <laughs> or something. Delightful. Well, there's your hoity-toitiness right there. I don't even know what fox tastes like. Uh, evidently, the French in the late 18, 1800s did. They did. If you buy a bottle of French wine today, it is almost without exception made from grapes grown on grafted vines. Okay. Almost mm. because a small number of French winemakers are growing plots of ungrafted vines. Oh. Planted in historically important French wine regions, these wines are called Franc de Pied. Which means, which means French foot. French, French foot. foot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a like it kind of a foot is also used as, also as for a, the root, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but it's a, it's a term like a pied de terre is a foot of earth, yeah. which means you have a, like a small living quarters away from your regular home, right? Okay. So I would imagine this means like a piece of France. Cool. Right. The resulting wines are an attempt to recreate the long lost flavor of yeah. pre phylloxera wine. Turns out it tastes terrible. <laughs> Not These, foxy enough. That's my problem with those <laughs> yeah, wines. These experimental winemakers and other Frank DPA enthusiasts believe that French wine lost something when it was forced to graft all its vines over to American rootstock. It lost a certain flavor, texture, even purity. It's got to shine a different light on it. Yeah. When yeah. they drink it now. Oh, it's true. Stop the- shining the red, white, and blue. <laughs> Just do the red. It is American rootstock after all. Red, wait, white, and blue. Wait, France has the same colors. Damn it. Oh, curses. There's no way to compare the taste of this biohistorical reconstruction to its lost original. Perhaps the closest ever recorded was a pre-phylloxera Chateau Latour, bottled in 1863. Okay. How many and, years before was that? And sampled by uh, some of the writers at Wine Spectator okay. magazine in okay. the year 2000. In the year 2000. So they drank a 137-year-old bottle of wine hmm. that dated to pre-phylloxera okay. uh, blight. Mm. It was described as astonishing in terms of purity and clarity on nose and palate with the texture of finest silk, (laughs) aromas of tobacco, cigar box, leather, (laughs) berries, plums, and wet earth. Oh, yes, please. And flavor that remained on the palate for minutes after each sip. I, yeah. Now, are these people super tasters or are they just super douchey? Super douchey? I don't, yeah. Like, I've certainly tasted different wines and and they have different flavors, but- but they said that not all of the vineyards were infected by this blight. So no, no, they said by still... 1870, 50% had already been destroyed. Oh, okay. And by the late 19th century, it was pretty much over. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I got to be honest. I would really like to have a glass of wine from an 1863 Chateau Latour. I'd try it, but I, I man, there's so, jerks. so much psychology going on. Send it to on. us. Yeah, send us a bottle of this wine, or at least send one that labeled as such. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Mm, great. Ah, well, we'll read the label and we'll believe it. Yes. Right? You know, we'll uh, convince ourselves. It's that, uh, you know, we'll shine it under a red light and everything. Yeah. Now Fox Free.
Shaking like a leaf on a tree That's coming loose from the stem Shaking like a leaf on a tree Because I'm coming loose, my man I'm like a weeping willow Weeping on my pillow For years and years there ain't no sweet man That's worth the soul of my Down and down he dragged me Like a fiend he nagged me For years and years there ain't no sweet man That's worth the salt of my ba da da ba da 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 Although I may be blue, still I'm true I must tell him goodbye Rather than have that man Gonna lay me down and just die So broken hearted sisters, aggravated misters Lend me your ears, there ain't no sweet man That's worth the salt of my ba da da ba da da ba da da ba da ba da da ba da Kevin, you were there. Back in May, we performed our Lesser of Two Evils Marathon with some of the funniest people in Vancouver at the Seven Dining Lounge. We recorded that entire show. We're going to be releasing parts of it online individually as bonus pay-what-you-want content. I want to pay $7. You can do that. I want to pay $7.50. You can do that. I want to pay nothing. You can do that even if you want. (gasps) What is the Lesser of Two Evils Marathon? I wasn't here to see it done live. Then you're an idiot and I hate you. <laughs> if you like Lesser of Two Evils. And you like funny people. And you like paying whatever you want. Get, get it. it. I heard there's a place you can go, causticgear.com. In the news. <laughs> May 9th, 2014. Ice Creamists is an ice cream parlor in London. Hey, you know what? I prefer mm. uh, puns in my ice cream parlor names. Ice Creamist? Yeah. That's not a pun. That's just putting "ist" on the end of something. Ice creamists? I, no, it's extremists. Ice creamists. Ice creamists. Extremists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort a of. On, it's a play on extremists. Mm-hmm. It's a bad play. I'll have to make a call and find that out. <laughs> Listen, if I it, think you're. I think you're projecting. Oh, your blah. puns on. I say we call the ice them up. See how they pronounce it. Owner Matt O'Connor says, "I'm challenging the preconceptions we have about food, about farming, but from ice cream." Yes. All right. O'Connor has 15 breast milk suppliers for his new brand of ice cream, but a further 35 have signed up since he introduced the product. Okay. Oh, okay. 
breast so, milk wait, uh, ice cream. I'm assuming we're talking about lady breast milk. Uh, I, yes, Human. we are. Human okay. ladies. Okay. They, Human ladies. They uh-huh. pump at home and courier it over like regular milk, except that they're paid 15 pounds for 10 fluid ounces. That works out to 30 pounds a pint. Okay. So one scoop of baby gaga... Is fourteen ninety nine pounds. Sorry, this did you guy say is, baby gaga. This guy is baby totally gaga. into puns. He's just made a pun on Lady All right, Gaga. You're, you're yeah. beginning to win me over. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Gaga should sue, by the way. But if you're looking for a cash cow, ladies, uh, <laughs> you are not it. Regular breasts are lucky to yield one fluid ounce in a single sitting. What about so the wait, babies? Uh, What's wait, happening uh, to the babies? So what are they drinking? <laughs> are they eating regular ice cream? <laughs> yeah, just feed the babies ice That's cream. That's right. Wait, what was it? What was the single scoop of this ice cream? Fifteen a, pounds. One scoop is fifteen pounds, basically. So like thirty bucks. So about thirty bucks for one scoop of ice cream. Yeah, just because it's made from human lady boob it's juice. It's boobalicious. Yeah. The proportions of his ice cream are two thirds breast milk, one third cream with vanilla and sugar on top. So what does it actually taste like? Uh huh. All right. Okay. Let me guess. Let me guess. Okay. Boob. <laughs> tastes like boob. What does boob taste like? Isn't it kind of salty? Depends how sweaty. Yes. Salty, you yeah. know. Okay. Uh, if you're lucky, not hairy. If you're lucky, yes. <laughs> sure. Tastes mm-hmm. like success. <laughs> oh, tastes like yeah. success. Yeah, well, fifteen dollars a scoop. Yeah, it tastes like kaching. At first, regular vanilla ice cream until the mouth coating back taste kicks in. Oh. Then it's like a thin, more goatish dairy. Oh, <laughs> so uh, old French wine doesn't have enough fox in it. But breast milk has more goat in it. Yeah, right. like. In summary, at first I liked it, then I didn't mind it, then I hated it, <laughs> then I wanted to be sick. Sounds like 15 pounds well spent. Yeah. That is a, a, a cornucopia of responses. Maybe yeah. he just got a particularly bad batch of boob juice. Because if true. like every one of these ladies is only given, given up like one ounce at a time, yeah. your scoop could have like four different ladies in it. It just might be a bad like combo, right? I think the real cash cow here right. is the breast milking. Uh, the guy squeezing the boobs? The guy squeezing the boobs. Uh, the, I think there's probably you get a to squeeze, You get to make your own ice cream, if you I, know what I mean. I don't think he, there's a guy with I, like yeah. ladies lined up leaning I over, do. so he's squeezing boobs. I do. This is... Factory uh, breast milk farms. Yeah. There was a snapshot into Torrance Terrible. Kink more yeah. than I ever thought possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop culture. I watched this, I've mentioned it a couple of times, watched this BBC documentary called The Truth About Taste. Right. It sort of was just kind of an overall summary about like kind of a lot of things we were talking about. It's mostly interesting kind of elements I sort of peppered into the episode. So I won't bother uh, talking anymore about that. But what I do want to talk about is a TV series, a short-lived TV series called Nathan For You. Did anybody ever see this? Nathan For You? Yeah. It's a... A mock reality show, but they treated it like a real reality show. Right. He would advertise saying, we've got a reality show where this guy comes in and he saves your business, right? If you got a failing business, okay. he's a marketing expert. Right. He will come in and, you know, save your business. So all sorts of people would write him, but then he'd show up and he would, everything he would do, he would do like act very sincerely, but he would do it as a joke. So a yogurt shop. To the people who were own the shops do they know about the joke or was it okay no so they are the unwitting victims of this man's joke they were being pranked they're being pranked basically uh so he showed up at a yogurt shop and he decided that the solution for this yogurt shop's problem was they need to come up with poop flavored yogurt Mm. that would bring that would the novelty of it would bring people in the door and then they would get a a bump in business 
it's actually not a very long clip. Well, we should embed it on CausticSodaPodcast.com. Well, we did talk about, about that minutes. place in Japan where they had the poop flavored ice cream. That's right. Yeah. Served so, in the no, no, toilet no. Bowls it looked like poop. It wasn't poop flavored. No, uh, yes, you're, yes. They, that was chocolate ice yes, cream in a I'm, toilet. I apologize. This is a regular yogurt cup okay. with poop flavored ice cream. Well, now they did have those. I don't know if I told this story before. Did I? Stop me if I did. Okay. They came out with those Bertie Botts jelly beans yeah, from Harry Potter. Every flavor yeah. beans, and some of them yeah. tasted like grass or dirt and vomit. snot and, and vomit and stuff yeah. like that. Bogey. Right. Bogey is what they called the boogers. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's a market for bad tasting things as a novelty. For kids. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one time we were playing D&D and one of my D&D players brought over some of these boxes of, and we put them all in bowls and we all had a good time trying to <laughs> taste them out. And then we left the gross ones at the end. Because we'd all sampled them, we all knew what the taste like. So we didn't right. need to eat any more of those. Right, right, no. yeah. And then uh, one of my uh, players' girlfriends came over to pick them up, and she got out here a little early, and we were playing our, just finishing up and tidying up. Oh, and then I noticed after they had gone that all the gross jelly beans were not in the bowl anymore. She'd eaten the whole so thing. So she had obviously eaten them was, and either was either oblivious to the fact that they were supposed to taste horrible. Yeah, because maybe, maybe this was this 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 fulfillment she's thing. The, yeah. She's like jelly beans are supposed to taste good. Jelly beans good. are always good tasting. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe she's, she's a non-taster. Yeah, she yeah. To be a non-taster. She was a non-taster. Yeah, precisely. Did she smoke? I could have done. I don't know. Mm, these these taste like ashtrays. So Lovely. If you're interested in seeing <laughs> what the end result of marketing a poop flavored yogurt on a little local yogurt shop, <sighs> yeah. check out the link on causticsodapodcast.com. Please tell me it didn't work. I two things. One, uh, why? But the other one is how do you know that it actually tastes like shit? Like who confirms? Yep, well, that's what assumes, shit tastes like. Well, one assumes that it tastes worse than it smells. They have a focus group. They got a chemical of, company of to- people who've eaten shit. No, they got a chemical company to synthesize this uh, flavor, this artificial flavor, which they said okay. is uh, as close to approximation to poop as they could come up okay, with. Sure. What I'm saying is and at then, some point, uh, somebody had finish. to compare flavors. <clears throat> yes. And then they went to a focus group and they said, what do you think this tastes like? Okay. And all three of them said, well, I've never tasted it before, but this is what I imagine okay. poop would taste like. So it's it tastes like what you imagine poop would taste like. Thank well, goodness. We all smell poop on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think I could like take poop flavored yogurt and go, this smells and tastes like like I would imagine poop would taste like. Sometimes I can't you even might imagine. Ac- accidentally taste poop. Have you accidentally tasted poop? When have let's, you accidentally tasted poop? Let's torn? say uh, we all became we became very wrapped on torn just now. Yes, we just both no. what. Let's say you're driving behind one of those trucks that has all those porta potties on it. Uh-huh. And then he hits a bump. Uh-huh. Then the porta potty smashes on your windshield, uh-huh. breaks through, and just comes all the way through. Or you got your sunroof open. Okay. Has, has this happened to you? No. Oh, okay. This is it's a hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Right. So they found the person this happened to, and they said, does this taste like that? <laughs> yes. Now it's all explained? All right. I have no further complaints. <laughs> I'm making a weird face right now. Uh, one of my favorite reality shows of all time, Top Chef, Yes, uh, is heavy on the tasting, as you can imagine, because they're right. trying to name Top Chefs. One of my favorite competitions that they do is they come out with like a, a, a sauce or a, a soup, soup yeah. or a something liquidy, generally speaking, uh, and they make them taste it. And they'll, they'll tell them, this has 17 ingredients in it. Mm. And then they'll taste it, and then the person who names the least number of ingredients in it 
uh, gets eliminated, right? Okay. So I'm like, do they lose that, points for wrong ones though, or should you just no? Name no they every they just player? keep naming until they get one wrong, and then they're cut off. Yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah, see. yeah. And so I found that fascinating because I'm like, there is no way that I could do this. Like no. the palettes on these people must be unbelievable. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone get every single one right, but I've seen people come pretty damn close. And there's they have another one where they bring out like a little twelve, like twelve little bowls of different flavors or yeah. different foods and they blindfold and they them. blindfold the contestants and have them taste each one and say what it is mm. yeah, it's yeah. the same kind of a deal like uh, whoever gets the most has immunity for the next well, challenge and, and the stuff trick, like that the trick they do in that one is that they they put things that are like very similar to other things so you'll have like this is probably a bad example but like you know cilantro and parsley are like in the same family so they have like two things very similar and you have to differentiate between which one is which kind right. of thing right and some people will be amazing and get like a lot like yeah dozens of them or whatever and yeah. one people and other people will get like two or three yeah i, so I don't crazy i do not know why i like top chef as much as i do but every time it's on i watch it religiously i can't stop myself maybe it's just because i'm always hungry maybe it's like they, i could do that instead of actually eating big night from 1996 i did like this movie starring uh stanley tucci tony shalhoub mm-hmm. isabella rossellini and uh, me, me uh, uh, uh mini driver mini driver yeah <laughs> and ian holm yeah as Bilbo Baggins. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Reprising his mm-hmm. role. Second breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Primo and Segundo, that's uh, Stanley Tucci and Tony Shaloub, are two brothers who have emigrated from Italy to open an Italian restaurant in America. Primo, that's Tony Shaloub, is the irascible and gifted chef, brilliant in his culinary genius, but determined not to squander his talent on making the routine dishes that customers expect. Segundo is the smooth front man trying to keep the restaurant financially afloat despite few patrons other than a poor artist who pays with his paintings. Mm-hmm. The owner of the nearby Pascal's restaurant, that's uh, Ian Holm, a normalcy successful despite its mediocre fare, offers a solution. He will call his friend a big-time jazz musician, Louis Prima, uh-huh. who is great and, you, and many and pretty our, big time. our listeners have heard him a couple times in uh, previous episodes, yeah. to play a special benefit at the restaurant Primo begins to prepare his masterpiece, A Feast of a Lifetime, for the brothers' big night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I literally, when I went to see this movie in the theater, because I was a big fan of Mini Driver and Tony Shalhoub and Stanley, Stanley Tucci, Tucci, even though it like you know got, didn't get a very wide release and you know probably not a lot of people saw it, but I ate dinner and finished eating dinner like five minutes before the movie started. And then you wanted and to I have another dinner. And I watched it, and I came out of that movie starving. I'm like, <laughs> I want to eat everything in the world. It is a good movie. It, I really enjoyed it. I saw it on the VHS. It induces hunger, without a doubt. Like, if you watch that movie and get to the end of it, and you're not hungrier as a result, if you're not, like, salivating and wanting to eat, mm-hmm. the food looks amazing. I, like, the part I like about is uh, how Tony Shalhoub's character is like, uh, she wants a side of uh, uh, Stanley Tucci comes in. And, oh, the customer wants a side of uh, spaghetti. He wants a side of spaghetti with risotto. Whoa, what? That's crazy. I'm not making that. Yeah. Fuck that. They don't have no taste. <laughs> yeah. So he's totally like disrespectful. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna go talk to her. She's like, yeah. And Ian Holm, who has the other Italian restaurant, isn't even Italian, and he all he serves is like spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. Like that's the whole thing, right? And you're, you know, it's just like just mass produced to. Uh, uh, appeal to the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and it's this you know art versus commerce kind of argument in the yes movie, right? yes yeah recommend it yeah definitely recommend it the one that comes to my mind when i think of uh fine food and stuff is actually ratatouille mm. pixar yeah. 2007 one of the few pixar movies that i have yet to see really? i think it might be the only one it's i think it's the only one that i've missed it's really good uh pat oswald does the voice of remy the rat who dreams of being a french chef 
mm-hmm. which is weird because uh, he's a rat. Yeah. So for those who haven't seen it, he is an anthropomorphic rat, except that he doesn't live in a world of anthropomorphic rats. All right. the humans think he's just a rat. He's a sewer rat right. with the rest of the sewer yeah, rats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he dreams of being a chef. And it turns out he's really good at it. There's tons of uh, monologues of him talking about food and uh, mixing flavors together and things like that. If I, I, if I understand correctly, uh, Patton Oswalt was cast by uh, director Brad Bird after he heard his stand-up routine about the menu at a Black Angus steakhouse. Because Patton <laughs> is a total foodie. Right. Yeah. I, even though I haven't seen it, I mean, what is your impression of it, Torn? Would you? Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you it was kind of like the uh, like I knew who Patton Oswalt was when this movie came out, but I yeah. don't think he was. I don't know if he's a household name necessarily. Certainly now, not. But uh, he wasn't at the time. But certainly more so because of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I know Patton Oswalt. I'm so surprised he got like a in a, a role in a big Hollywood. because yeah. he was like totally indie back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so he had a supporting part on a pretty popular sitcom. Yeah, but, King of Queens. Right. King of Queens. Yeah. But aside from that, yeah, he wasn't. A big star. In spite of the fact that this is probably might be the only Pixar movie that I haven't yet seen, uh, I have some interesting trivia. Cool. Uh, the window shop displaying dead rats that, as seen in the movie, actually exists in Paris. It is the window of Destruction des Animaux Nuisibles, mm-hmm. an exterminator established since 1872, located at 8 Rue des Halles in the first arrondissement. Uh, so yeah, nice. so if you see that, it actually exists in Paris. And that now I wonder if he's like, here are the biggest and best rats we've caught, or is like, here are all the different ways we've caught rats. Here's yeah. one that's in a little noose. Here's one that's in a trap. Here's one that's or, been poisoned. I mean, it was established in 1872. It might be just the first 20 rats they caught. Oh yeah, that's right? right. You know, it's like just oh, we're hanging every rat we catch. It's like you never cash that first check. Yeah, in business you frame it <laughs> yeah. put it on the wall. That's Here's right. our first 20 rats. Yeah. Marketing tie-ins for this movie proved to be problematic as no food product company wanted to be associated with a rat chef. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Nearly every Pixar film shows the Pizza Planet truck from Toy Story. The truck appears on the bridge over the Seine on the scene where Skinner chases Remy. Mm -hmm. Every Pixar film has a reference to room A113 from the California Institute of the Arts. A number of animators began their CalArts career in this very room, including John Lasseter and Brad Bird. A113 appears on a tag clipped to the ear of a rat named Git. Hmm. So uh, anybody who's re-watching any Pixar movies, keep your eye out for references to A113. It's the classroom where they all learned animation. Disney and Pixar were planning on bringing a French-produced Ratatouille-branded wine to Costco. (laughs) That was until the California Wine Institute complained, suggesting that wine sporting cartoon characters would encourage (laughs) underage drinking. Yeah, that's a fair complaint. I would would call that complaint fair. Uh, And my favorite little trivia thing from Ratatouille is Brad Bird, uh, producer Brad Lewis, and many of the crew went to Paris for a week to get the feel of the city. They took a motorcycle tour around the capital and ate at its top... Top five restaurants. Right. Yeah. Why did we not do this for this episode? <laughs> Why did we not take some of that money we made and go eat amazing food? It sounds like- We they, still can. Uh, they just, we'll they, follow up. You know, we're making this movie. Uh, we have to go to Paris and eat at all the best restaurants. Yes. And look at the uh, at the uh, uh, um, exterminator shop with the rats in the window. <laughs> yes. We can only do this in person. We can't possibly do it with pictures. After our lesser of two evil stuff has gone up and we need more content, we will do a tastiest of two goodnesses where we just all go out and eat things and talk about it. I think our web episode is just going to be about us eating shit. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I watched 2011's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I heard that this was really, really good. It was good. Mm -hmm. It's about an old man who has a sushi place that's very small. I think it's in the subway. 
system. Oh, really? Like down on a platform? Yeah. Okay. Underground sushi? And it's like one of the, it's got a three Michelin stars, which is the maximum you can get. Wow. I that, believe. Yeah, there's not a very lot of places that have nope. three Michelin stars. And he's been doing this since he was like, I don't know, 12 or something. And he's like 85 now or something like that. Wow. Hmm. And uh, both of his sons, there's one son who has a restaurant of his own now. Okay. Um, and But his other son, his elder son, of course, works under him. Uh, and is going to take over the restaurant when eventually Jiro dies. Well, at 80-something years old yeah. in 2011, probably doesn't have much time left. And it's very interesting to see how he, you know, how he does it and how he is dedicated to his life to this whole thing okay. and how his work ethic. It sounds like there's a butt coming up here. I found it to be kind of sad. Oh, okay. Oh. I in Was what... it supposed to be sad? Because there are lots no, of documentaries no. that it's are supposed, supposed to, be sad. to be sad. But they talk... All the people that they interview, like there's the food critic in town, mm-hmm. the people at the fish market and everything like that, mm-hmm. they all talk about how he's so dedicated and he spent all of his life and the secret to his success is that he's never stops working and he and he does it all and his whole family is, in, is part of this and honor and, and you know... You can't not be successful. You have to work all the time right. and dedicate your entire body and soul and mind to this one thing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be a little sad. Yeah. Maybe that's just because you're lazy. Maybe it's because I'm lazy. <laughs> Maybe it's because I do like five different things in my life. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not really disorder. super good. I'm not like a three-star Michelin in any one of them. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's a pat. That's a oh, life choice. So maybe you're not. You don't think it's sad about him. You're a little sad about yourself. Maybe. <laughs> but you I just don't had know. A general malaise at the end of this documentary. Do, do you want to be perfect at one thing, or do you want to experience experience life. a lot of different things? Like perfect know. at one thing, but you have to like do it every day. I mean, that's over a, and over again. That's a pretty interesting question. Yeah. Like, what is a better thing to do? Like, sounds like this guy is about as perfect at sushi as you can be. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's one scene in the movie where he goes and visits his family. And by that point in the documentary, I was kind of shocked. Right. Because otherwise, he lives his job. He, like, right. gets up in the morning and he does all... He does the same thing every day. Yeah. And has done so for, what, 50 years or more. Yeah. He's very strict with his staff. He's very strict with his children. There's all these expectations that, you know, none of his children have gone off to do something not yeah. sushi-related. Yeah. And uh, well, I do the same thing every day. I get up, I masturbate, I disappoint people all day long, and then I go to bed. But the way you disappoint them is different all the time. Uh, the results are the same. So, you know, I would be, I would like to go to the sushi restaurant and taste this three uh, star Michelin star sushi. Michelin sushi. Yeah. But you know, it's going to be the same thing every, every time. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you don't need to go back. It's not necessarily just, bad. You could have the best sushi in the world. Yeah, you know, once and then move on. <laughs> Not that I want to go there and get, oh, this is kind of a mixed bag and shitty. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there was that expect. I would recommend watching this movie. Okay. But there was that expect sure. that to me seemed like, I- I'm glad I'm not that person. Okay, but yeah. you know what? Maybe this guy is glad that he's not you. Yeah, maybe that's what he likes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> People are All different. Right. But yeah, I, I get it. Like, yeah. Because I'm sad in my own way. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, I want to talk about Tongue Tongue. What is that? This tongue tongue was a character on the Tick animated series. Oh, and it's something with two tongues. He the, in the episode uh, the Tick versus Science. 
Uh, they go to a science, uh, a mad scientist convention. Okay. And one of the scientists has created this creature who is all tongue. He's like an anthropomorph. He's got like legs and arms and everything, and he's just one big tongue. Okay. And then through the course of the episode, another inventor there has a mind switching device. Okay. So Arthur, who is the sidekick of the Tick, yeah, who's basically a Mothman kind of a guy, yeah, he gets his brain switched with Tongue Tongue, so he spends the rest of the episode in Tongue Tongue's body, and he says things like "I can taste the floor" <laughs> and stuff like that. And then Doctor Mung Mung, who created Tongue Tongue, says things like. Poor tongue, tongue. He has but one small tongue with which to taste an entire world because he's trapped in Arthur's body and he has just that oh. little tiny tongue in his mouth. Right. Probably one of my favorite episodes of the Tick animated series. Highly rated. Oh yeah. Okay. So we obviously need to embed this little video on the mm-hmm. website. Yeah. And it's it's not just like a, a tongue like flopping around like a snake or something like that. It's, no, it's got like arms a and legs. Tongue, and it has and, and it's it has, all made out of tongue material. Yeah, it's and tongue, it's got a mouth with a, with tongue, a tongue inside. inside of it. Yeah. Yes. Is that tongue inside extra sensitive to the rest of the tongue? Because he's got like a tongue almost like as a cow lick of hair as well. <laughs> yes, it's true. Like, His head is a is a big is, tongue as well. So he's just he's just like basically a guy in a tongue suit. Yeah. Like what is the got, impetus for him sticking that tongue? out to taste things if he can taste things with his whole body why does he even bother he uh, salivates mainly is his job yeah Yeah, (laughs) salivate over everything is it salivating or sweating for him oh it's for him it's salivating yeah uh, oh yeah there's gonna be some ladies out there gonna watch that and get very excited i agree and men true enough it's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new and we'll have more gross facts for you and you'll have things you want to hear about we will Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being torn apart by feral dogs. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast, email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Jenny May, and thanks for listening. Uh, uh, wow, that's so, uh, 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 he's, he's, uh, 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 porta poppy. Is it? <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, so it, uh, 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 so what you do is it, it's like, so people would, he's, uh, uh, in the, uh, uh, but, uh, and, uh, these, uh, these, uh, they, they have, uh, they, 
the uh oh, the of uh you know uh um uh 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 and uh like uh he he's not an anth like uh, well, I've got well he'd be a uh, yeah yeah uh, I mean uh <clears throat> uh uh after our lesser to the t- uh uh um uh yeah because I mean it's, and uh kind of has I mean but uh and uh is you know what I realized recently hmm. that? is that if you take a bunch of grapes uh-huh. and uh oh fuck what was I thinking. If you take a bunch of grapes, okay, I totally lost it. And you fuse them into one big grape, into a monster grape, into some kind of ape-like <laughs> grape, so a giant no, ape no, no. grape. Okay, I remember. 